Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, good. Frustrated, but okay. Good? Frustrated? Yeah. yeah. Because of the snowfall? Because no, of the drivers no, no, no. in the city? No, none of that. None Just of that? Frustrating markets. Yeah. Frustrating markets. I, I, you know, we've talked to probably a dozen to almost 20 different institutional and uh, retail portfolio managers out there, mm -hmm. sovereign wealth fund managers. And we were talking about this before we got on the air. Um, the look on their face is different than how they present themselves publicly. Right. The look on their face behind closed doors, no cameras around, shows the frustration that they're feeling. Yep. You get, when we're dealing with individual investors or clients, they're frustrated. And those who are taking an active approach of looking at their portfolios on a regular basis uh, know it's very frustrating that it's been a long time uh, since the markets, S&P 500, right. TSX, has made money. So frustration mm -hmm. is one word, I think, that describes it. Um, some people are going to have a, a big reaction to this, and they're going to... They're going to make some decisions about yeah. their portfolio. Yeah, and, and you know, if you look at um, if you look over the past two years, like people, if you've been conservative, right? I.e., you've been towards fixed income, not cash. Cash has done okay, but if you've been fixed income, what would traditionally be conservative in a portfolio? You've actually gotten beaten up for being conservative. It's interesting you said cash is, is you've been okay because that's the mindset of many. Had right. I just stayed in cash right. for the last call it two years, two right. and a half years. Uh, I didn't invest in the S&P 500. I didn't invest in bonds. I didn't invest in the TSX. I would be better off. Correct. Not necessarily true. Do tell. The, the value of your cash has gone down substantially more than the bond market has in the last two and a half years because of inflation. Right. The minute you leave money sitting in cash, and remember, two and a half years ago, interest rates were next to nothing. Right. So you're getting next to nothing on your money, and then inflation takes off. On an average over the last couple of years has been above 5% per year. So you've lost 5% per year of your money, the value of your money. Did I mention frustration? Yeah. Yeah. So there was no place to hide. All people look at is the value on their statement. Right. Not what that value, what that statement buys you. Right. Until they take the money out and spend it and go, whoa, right. things are expensive now. Yep. Inflation's up. Yep. And so it's it's a hard time <clears throat> to figure out what does someone do? And we're getting so many mixed signals. Well, this this week was a really good example of that, wasn't it? I mean, you've got you you you've got inflation data showing a trend down, still sticky, but moving in the right direction. We get GDP data in the United States that's through the roof. Right, economy is soaring. Well, the numbers, the numbers for GDP. If you take that number just in its own self, take take all the noise around it outside. Yeah, those are good numbers. Yeah, that's good growth for the U.S. economy. Yeah. Okay. Now you add on all the macroeconomic and geopolitical stuff going yeah. on, and they're still doing that. Yeah. Right. That's like that's that's that's. You kind of have to take a step back and go. How come that doesn't translate into the markets or into people's portfolios? And earnings, take, take earnings. They've been accelerating relative to where we started in the quarter. They're better than expected. Companies are beating, and they're beating by more than what was expected. It's interesting. And it's the, isn't it Rodney Dangerfield that said, no they get respect. no respect? Yeah. 
The, these companies, we look at the S&P 500, um, more than half of now have disclosed their, their, their yep. earnings. They've been beating. But the average, if you, if you beat on the top line revenue and you beat on earnings, then your, your stock price on average in this quarter Goes down. is negative. Yep. I get no respect. Yeah. And then if you beat and beat, and then your forward guidance is less than expected, you really get beat up. You get hammered. If you miss and miss, you're getting crushed, right? It's, it's, a, it's, it's just a confusing time right now for all asset classes. You've got the 10-year treasury yield. How long have we been talking about? It is so volatile in the past three or four months, you know, that it's, you got, you're spooked in the bond market again. We're spooked in the stock market. It's frustrating. And then we get this geopolitical risk on top of it. Right. We've already been dealing with one war, now we're dealing with two. And there's a whole bunch of uh, push and pull on this. And so what ends up happening is the macro noise, and I'm, I'm not um, saying that it's, it's not, irrelevant. It's, not, yeah. it's, irre it's not what's going on in Israel, Palestine, Ukraine, Russia, the people. I'm not saying that's not, it's not relevant at all on those pieces, but when I'm just looking at it from a financial and investment lens, yep. it's just noise. And the market has looked past it in some days, worried about it in others. Um, you know, it, it gets to a point where people are saying there is no light at the end of the tunnel. I think that's good. Like when we talk to just regular people, right? It is, it's a negative feeling, right? Generally speaking, I think people are feeling tired, feeling frustrated, anxious, exhausted. Pick your word, right? Yeah, and, and, that, and you're using the lens of when they're talking about their portfolios. Well, Because the behavior is different. Here's what's interesting. So On average, point. Canadians, when they look at their portfolios they're in that, and saying, I haven't seen any growth, I'm frustrated, yeah. I, I, it's not good. Okay, but I'm traveling, the restaurants are packed, I'm spending more money, or I'm spending money. Yeah. It's not translating my portfolio value is going down. So the question is why? Yeah. Generally speaking, when your house price goes up in value, you feel more confident, you're right. willing to spend more. Right. If your house price goes down, but your stock portfolio goes up, you still spend less. Yeah, that's true. So it's interesting from a psychological perspective, as long as housing prices stay the same or go up, people feel a bit more comfortable because home is safer. Right. My portfolio is some number that I see on a screen or on a piece of paper. Right. right. So I'm not gonna behave based upon some number. I'll react about my future with that number. Right. But my behavior today is based upon the value of my home and the current situation. Right. If we had a higher unemployment rate, People are losing jobs, you bet. but housing prices were going up at the same time. I still believe that people will still spend the same. And well, except for those people that may be at risk of losing their Whoever lost their yeah. job. Whoever Under, lost their job, they're yeah. going to so cut. Depending right? on the magnitude of people lost yeah. their job. You're right. Yeah. But it's very interesting on how people are looking at the world. Yeah. They, from the lens of the portfolio, it's terrible. It's dismal. It's crazy. It's frustrating. Well, the headlines. I'm just talking about the, the headline. Not even necessarily the portfolio. Yeah. The headlines. Yeah, we read of course. It's terrible. It's, it's, another new cycle of another bunch of bad stuff. Right. So I get that. Right. When we look at what's going well in the world, yeah. pretty quiet and well, no one's really talking about those things. All the technology has been discovered. All, we've, got, we've got new biotechnology out yeah. there 
that have helped people to reduce their weight loss, have been able to uh, get rid of uh, some sort of growth in cancer. Yep. That's not getting a lot of headline news. Right. right? So it's, it's in those situations, here comes the, the frustration, which will lead to some sort of reaction. And all we say is take a step back. You're going to hear from our, our, our guest. He'll use the word pragmatic. Be pragmatic about this. We've got a terrific recurring guest joining us today, which we're going to get right to. Andrew McCreeth is a CEO and CIO of uh, Forge First Asset Management. Um, there's lots going on in the market right now, Faisal, that um, is creating a lot of volatility and a lot of fear, right? We're coming into the end of the year. The last couple of months have just been scary for people. So, so <clears throat> let me take you to a position of why we've brought Andrew on the show today. Because when you speak to a portfolio manager when they're long only, yeah. they can only buy investments with the idea of it going up in value. When you, when you speak to a certain asset class manager, you are only taking the perspective of their asset class that they're in, either bonds, stocks. Yeah. But when you have a manager that can go long, can go short, can look at equity, can look at fixed income, now you've got an individual who can see the breadth of everything out there and how they position themselves in their portfolio will give you a better indication of where the markets both stock and bond are, where the economy is, and where the risks are and the opportunities versus a silo thought of either a stock manager looking for it to go up in value or a bond manager because they've got only a lot of bond lens on. We want to see it clear. So that's why I'm glad we have Andrew McCreet, CEO, CIO of Forge First Asset Management. Andrew, welcome to the show. Good day, gentlemen. It's great to be back. Okay, well, let's start there, I think. Uh, I think Faisal did a good job, Andrew, setting it up. Um, You've got a mandate that can look uh, amongst different asset classes. You can be long, short. You've got lots of tools at your disposal. Why don't you just give us a, uh, a peek into, into your world? What are you seeing right now? And then we'll sort of drill down into the areas of opportunity and risk. Well, thanks very much. So two years ago, I expressed the opinion that central banks were going to change the rules of the game. They were going to increase interest rates, and they were going to shrink the amount of liquidity in the system. The Bank of Canada did that. The Federal Reserve Bank of the United States did not do that. Yes, they increased interest rates a lot, but they did not shrink liquidity. And now as you move forward to late 22, so one year ago, at that time, the market was pricing in three interest rate cuts in the United States during the back half of 2023 now. And I didn't think that was gonna happen. I didn't think that was going to happen because I thought service-based inflation was going to stay higher for longer, keeping overall inflation stickier and higher for longer, preventing the central bank from cutting interest rates. And so we went into 2023 with low net exposure. In other words, we didn't have a lot of market exposure because we were very defensively positioned. Now, as it turned out, during 2023, the Fed still has not cut liquidity. The U.S. is awash in liquidity. And as a result, up until the last few weeks, the equity markets have been okay, shall we say. Now, we all know that on a year-to-date basis, the equal-weighted S&P 500 is down 4 or 5% whereas the headline S&P is still up 8 to 10 because of those, you know, seven tech stocks. So the markets are a little misleading, and it's been a frustrating year for a guy like me because 
arguably I've been more right than wrong on the fundamentals, the macro, but it's been the liquidity uh, and then quantitative traders in the States that have pushed these, you know, macro cap tech stocks higher. Because when we look at what is going on right now, bringing us to today, um, inflation is definitely improving, but especially on the service side, the super core stats the Fed likes to look at continue to be well above the levels they want them to be. And so next week, the Fed will not increase interest rates, but it's likely to be a hawkish pause because inflation does remain uh, higher than they want it to be. And the U.S. economy is befuddling everybody at saying stronger for longer. But I think it is going to weaken next year for some reasons that we could get into. So you're at a point in time here where interest rates are high. Uh, the economy is expected to finally weaken in the United States, likely more so here in Canada. Yet stocks are still not dirt cheap. Um, I've been around several cycles and I'm not used to wanting to go out and buy the S&P 493, in other words, less those seven tech stocks, at 16 and a half, 17 times forward earnings, when 10-year bond yields are call it 485 and likely to stay in that four and a half to 5% range for a good while longer, gents. So when you're seeing all this, um... How do you position? Because at the beginning, I was talking about you have the opportunity to go long, short. You have you see all the risks. There's a lot of reaction. So let me let me break my question down into two parts. Number one, what is the market reacting? I mean, I speak of market, I think the stock markets primarily. What's the market really reacting on? Because in the last call it you know two months, we have seen so much happen in in interest rate yields. We've seen uh, a war being created now. We've seen a whole bunch of other things have come up. And so what is the market really reacting? And number two, given that you have all this information and the ability to do more than what a conventional portfolio manager can do, what, what, are, what's, what are you doing in your portfolio? Well, first and foremost, it's imperative to be pragmatic when you're managing someone else's money as opposed to being dogmatic. So we, our process is 10 to 15% top down. In other words, the macro environment, the assessment thereof, uh, driving how we structure our portfolios. But ultimately, 85, 90%, we are bottom up stock pickers. Now, we, you know, we own companies that we like, but at the same point in time, we don't like the fundamental setup, inflation, interest rates, valuation, outlook for earnings, etc. And our job is to protect client capital and to generate a competitive net return. But, you know, a client is unlikely to fire me if I don't earn as much money as they'd like me to earn, but they're more likely to fire me if, they, if I lose them a bunch of money. So when you add all that up, uh, given my role in a client portfolio, um, we continue to be reasonably defensively positioned. At the same point in time, um, the last the last couple of days of the past week, last week, when the tech companies started to report, we have started to nibble away at a few large cap tech stocks. 
because seasonally, after a weak fall, the markets tend to rally into year end. Now, history rhymes, it doesn't repeat. But when we assess the setup, if you will, we do believe that there is a good shot that the markets will rally. So we will tactically increase our net exposure. In other words, how long we are relative to being short or just owning cash. Um, but we are not going to go all in because we do believe the market still has to face a deteriorating economy uh, during 24, sticky inflation, and rates being higher for longer. But, and at the same point in time, because of that macro setup, we don't think it's the cyclicals that are going to rally. I kind of think energy stocks, for example, are range bound here. I think the banks continue to be dead money uh, for the foreseeable future. And so we believe given that the tech stocks, the large cap tech stocks um, have the most visible earnings growth for 24, that it's logical that we you know, move into them a little bit. We've bought a little Microsoft, we've bought a little Google, and we're likely to add a little more to that space. But we are not going to get you know, incredibly long because we continue to believe there's some challenges facing the markets. You made a comment in the last segment. You talked about range-bound, um, uh, that 10-year Treasury, I'm assuming you were referring to when you were saying sort of 45 to 5%. I want to hit you with an interesting comment that uh, there was an interview. Uh, David Rosenberg was part of this interview this week, and he was talking about the fact in Canada that we could see rates drop uh, much more aggressively and much sooner than what the market is currently pricing. It's effectively saying that the inflation genie has been put back in the bottle, and the market's got it wrong from an interest rate perspective. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I do believe that the outlook for the Canadian economy is inferior to that of the U.S. economy for a host of reasons. I mean, late this past week, the Canadian dollar was flirting with the 72 cent U.S. level. Um, aside from the dip during COVID, when the U.S. dollar went through the roof against every other currency, uh, this is the weakest the Canadian dollar has been for many years. Um, and I believe that that speaks to uh, the perception of the, the political and economic climate in Canada relative to other countries. Um, point number two, um, when it comes to fiscal stimulus, one of the reasons why the U.S. economy has been so resilient, uh, which of course has made the Fed's job even tougher, is because... Uh, Biden's uh, fiscal stimulus is nothing short of gargantuan. And even though capital spending is only 10% of the U.S. economy, um, real estate 5%, um, you know, consumer 68, 70%, external trade is negative. Um, meanwhile, the government makes up the rest. Um, that fiscal stimulus dwarfs what's been done in Canada. And so we're going to have a weaker economy in Canada than the States. You're seeing it in the dollar now. And I do believe that the Bank of Canada um, is likely to be aggressive at cutting rates, uh, more so than the Fed, but only when they can. Um, you know, we have rates of roughly 30% of our workforce being unionized in Canada versus 6% in the States. And we all know what's going on in the wage front. Now, I'm not... Uh, belittling the need for 
all workers to get paid more money because inflation is, is, is a real, real problem. And even when inflation falls down, the cost of living is going to stay through the roof. But that does make it tough for the Bank of Canada to cut rates when they want to. And so I think it's a little early to think that the Bank of Canada is going to have room to cut rates in the near future. Um, you know, at the same point in time, when you look at interest rates and the impact on our economy, specifically housing, it's a very different story in Canada than the States. We are much, much more exposed to the level of interest rates than the American housing sector is because in the States, you take a 30-year mortgage and the average mortgage rate in the installed base of mortgage in the States today is about 3%. And so that's why housing prices are going up in the States, because nobody wants to sell their home, because that means they have to take a new mortgage when they buy a new house, and that could be as high as 8%. So I do agree that the Bank of Canada wants to cut rates, um, but I don't think it, they'll be able to cut rates uh, for, I'll say, another six, maybe nine to 12 months. Andrew, when, when you come into our offices and you've met us before, you've seen that Dave and I sit down and we actually have these types of debates. And Dave will look at points of, of risk that are out there uh, in, the, in the markets. I look at areas of opportunities. I think generally investors look at it on both sides. Now you have the opportunity with a lens that's a little bit different than most conventional portfolio managers and fund managers out there. Um, where are the risks that you see that uh, will have people lose money? And where are the opportunities that you see where people can make money? Great question. Um, and when I look uh, out over the next 12 months, uh, in my opinion, by a country mile, the biggest risk has to do with how long interest rates stay at levels anywhere close to where they are today. What do I mean? Well, if in fact you go out 12 months from now, and 10-year bond yields are 45 to 5%, and the overnight rate, in other words, the Bank of Canada rate or the Fed's Fed funds rate, um, is within, let's call it, 50 basis points of today, then as we move into 2025, I think there is a non-linear increase. In other words, it goes from that to that increase in the potential for there to be big problems in 2025 because you are on an increasing basis going to have growing amounts of debt that will have to be refinanced at markedly higher interest rates. Um, now, again, that's, I'm not predicting that, but I believe it presents huge tail risk, as they say, if that were to happen. So to reiterate, it is the real risk is if interest rates are anywhere close to where they are today, 12 months from now. And that, of course, is going to be a function of inflation, which in turn is a function of the amount at which inflation falls naturally over the next nine months. Plus, if the U.S. economy were to take a deep dive, then inflation would likely decelerate on an accelerated basis, which in turn would allow the Fed to start to cut interest rates and give the Bank of Canada room to cut interest rates. Remember, with a 72 cent Canadian dollar, if the Bank of Canada were to start to cut rates, 
our dollar goes into the 60s and that's inflationary. So that's the risk. The opportunity is get ready to buy bank stocks again. Load up the truck. Not now, though. Not now. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to suggest to you when the interest rates start coming down, that is when all of that, the trillions of dollars in money market funds, some of that will come back into the stock market. You will see our funds at Forge First increase their net exposure once again, because it'll be game on once again. And there's no better place to play game on at the bottom of a cycle than Canadian banks. One, because of the, the structure of the industry in Canada. And two, they have a, benef uh, they have a, a very a benevolent regulator that is financed by you and me. Uh, Andrew, just very quickly, we've got maybe a minute or so. Um, extend that thought into the bond market. Bond investors have been punished for two years now. Um, walk me through your thesis, uh, uh, you know, about what, what's coming for bond investors uh, over the next 12 to 24 months. Well, obviously, it depends if I'm right or wrong on my view about inflation. And hence, it'll be uh, a longer period of time uh, before central banks can cut interest rates. But my take is if, you know, you're 74 years of age and all you care about protecting your capital um, and you don't, you know, 5% is good for me, then owning an investment grade bond to maturity, that's a perfectly good strategy. Um, having said that, um, I would not want to be trading bonds and I would not want to be involved in private credit. What I believe is going to happen, call it six to 12 months from now, is interest rates at the short end of the curve will come down, but interest rates at the long end of the curve will stay higher. So what that means happens is um, if you go back, you know, six months from now or six months ago, um, uh, short term rates were here, long term rates were down here. Now it's gone like that. So it's only slightly negative. I believe what's going to happen is this so that the short rates come down, the long rates stay higher, you get a normalized yield curve, and that's when you buy bank stocks. Got it. Thank you for that, Andrew. It's been a pleasure, as always. We, uh, you take a complex subject and a whole world of asset classes and, uh, and wrap it all into a, uh, an easy, digestible piece in 20 minutes. So we thank you for that. What is shut-up advice? <laughs> so let me give the context of where this, this <laughs> concept has come up. Okay. In the investment advice industry, you have many individual retail investors who are frustrated, we've used that word on this show, yeah. who have not seen much growth in their portfolios in recent years, and um, the reaction from our peers in the industry, now not all of them, but some peers in the industry, has now gone to the top of the, of the cycle of what people are frustrated about even more. Mm -hmm. We call this shut up advice. Okay, let me break down shut up advice in two different categories. Shut up number one is, just listen to what I'm saying, shut up and move on with your life. Right. The okay. advisor to clients. To clients. Yeah. They don't say it that way. Right. They say you should stay invested. It's a long-term, buy, hold. You know, it's going to work out over the long-term, 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 long-term. And, and mathematically, 
they're generally right. Right. Right? But just shut up, client. Right. And take my my advice. Okay. The other part of the, the, the what's happening in our industry is that clients are now frustrated. They're, they're expressing their concerns. They're looking at all their options out there. They're like, I can buy a GIC at 5%. I can go to high interest savings at almost 5%. I'm not making that in my portfolio. Or I, could, I don't want to take that much risk to get that kind of rate of return. Right. Or I people just wanna... are capitulating, right? They're nervous and they're scared. Correct. And, and they're so, going to their advisors with that. And, and they go to their advisor <clears> and they <throat> say, I want to do that. Right. And in order to shut up the client, they just go ahead and put it in, in right. a GIC or high interest savings or cash. Right. So it's shut up advice. Right. Shut up and listen to me or shut up, I'll just listen to you and do whatever you want. Right. I think that we have a problem now. What's the middle ground? I think there's a problem here, Dave, because the middle ground that needs to happen is first of all, of course, there needs to be education about yeah. the decisions. Yeah. But a decision that you make has to be articulated in the risks that you're taking. Right. Now, earlier in the show, you and I talked about people who are sitting in cash two and a half years ago yep. would have been better off right. than investing in the S&P 500 index or the, or the TSX, as right. an example. And then I said to you, well, wait a minute. Inflation has taken off over those two and a half years so much that on average 5% per yep. year in the last two years. Yep. So you've lost 5% per year or 10% total, easy numbers, of purchasing power. Okay. So risk number one of sitting in cash, and I'm saying not earning any interest, is you're gonna lose the purchasing power of your money day one. Okay. Okay. Then you go into the other options that are available. High interest savings accounts, GICs. Mm -hmm. There's no risk, they're saying. And the shut up advice is, yeah, you're right, just buy it and away you go. The education of what's the risk that you take. Right, so let, let, let me go back before you start. Uh, I'm gonna start with GICs and I wanna go back two years in time or a year in time. Yeah. Um, clients that were nervous locked in, in some cases, uh, for five-year GICs at that time. And a five-year GIC rate was maybe 3%. Yeah. Now I'm locked in, right? I don't have the ability to get out and reinvest into a higher market. Okay, because yeah. we'll talk about the office of that in just a minute. So that's the risk we call liquidity risk. Right. You don't have access to your money right. to seize the opportunities <clears throat> of the time. That's right. So you're prepared to give that up the right. minute you lock in your money. That's right. Okay. Let's use, stick with GICs. Okay. Fast forward to today. Okay. They look pretty attractive today, certainly relative to what they looked like 18 months ago. That's the benchmark that most people are looking at. Yeah, you bet. Okay. So now I can plow, plow my money in for five years for say five and a half percent, something around there. Sure. What's the risk? Well, what happens when that GIC matures? Okay. Your reinvestment. Are... Let's say five years from now, we are in a recession. Yeah. And interest rates plummet. Right. Like they did prior to the financial crisis or yeah. at the pandemic or... And, there's a whole bunch of mechanisms that the central bankers have now that provide more liquidity, but they also lower interest rates. Okay, so we've got liquidity risk and we've got reinvestment risk. Reinvestment right? risk. Up, down, whatever the case may be. What other, what other risk do you see, Dave? Well, um, it, it, the biggest risk is this. I, 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 we're product agnostic. Like, it doesn't matter what financial tool you use. Talking mm -hmm. about GIC, cash, stocks, bonds, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. We're agnostic only in the respect that it is about, it is about strategy, mm -hmm. right? It is about matching what the, the long-term strategy is. So I'm not saying you don't adjust. So if cash is 
uh, more interesting today than it was 18 months ago, well, then you can own some cash and you can reduce some stocks, whatever the case may be. That makes sense. But the, um, the, the, the risk, this capitulation risk, is what I'm getting most concerned about uh, with people because these are frustrating markets, as we've talked about. Correct. And if people capitulate and they just go for the shut up advice, right? Mm -hmm. I just can't take it anymore. I gotta, I've got to do this with everything, right? You're making big bets on... And it doesn't have to be everything, outcome. even if right. it's a, a large portion of your portfolio. Yeah, I'm talking in the extremes, like yep. when you, yep. I just can't take it, I want to go to cash. Yep. I'm not even saying that's the wrong idea. You just have to have the conversation. It can't be the shut up advice. It has to be, okay, what's happening? What are we trying to accomplish? What income do you need? What what's rate of growth do we need to support it? What's what? the goal? Correct. All of those things. Okay. Don't abandon that when you conversation. Say, when you say those things, Dave, I... Being the growth guy on the team, there's one risk that never, ever gets focused on in, in these types of markets. Correct. I know what and, you're going to And that's opportunity risk. You bet. When you look at the risk levels of, of disclosure of investment products, opportunity risk is hardly ever mentioned. Right. Because a loss of opportunity is not a loss. Because you didn't, you didn't lose something you never had. Right. Now, when you're planning for the long term in your retirement, you need money for today, you need money for the next five years, the next 10 years, you need money out there 20 years, maybe Correct. even 30 years, depending on your age. Yeah. Okay, if you give up opportunity, you're basically saying, I'm gonna mortgage my future right. for protection for today. Correct. And that, at times, and think about what it looks like when you're 80, 85, 90 years of age, and you think everything else in the world is gonna be the same. Here's the opportunities that you miss out on. Right. Number one, you might need more money right. for, I don't know, healthcare. Right. You might need more money for, I don't know, raising taxes. I have yet to meet anybody that says there's gonna be more government protection on healthcare services so you don't have to pay out of pocket. I have yet to hear there's going to be less tax rates or lower tax rates to Canadians. So in the future, when you're 80, 85, 90, you'll be paying less taxes. That's simply not true. Right. It's not happening. So when you give up the opportunity of growth, you end up mortgaging the future to protect today. Yeah. What you need is a financial and investment team that can create an investment product, an investment solution that can take care of today's risk and tomorrow's opportunity. Right, right. And our, a lot of our peers in the industry do not do that. Not because they can't, it's because they won't. Right. Okay. And that, that's, a big, that's a big concern for me where we are today. Right, yeah, so you've gotta be dynamic enough to adjust with the times. There are things that can create, right? Given whatever the circumstances are, there's alternative asset classes, which we talked about with Andrew McCree. There's lots of things that can be done in that area. Okay. Well, that all has to fit into some greater plan, right? Um, so when we talk about finance, the financial piece, it's only one piece of a successful retirement. Right? Yeah, we're going to talk about at our upcoming seminar about the financial side of it. Yeah. We're going to talk about healthcare, taxes, estate, and legacy even income and cash flow, right. all of this and how to protect the long term of your retirement at our upcoming mm -hmm. seminar on Tuesday, November 7th, 7 p.m. 
at the Carriage House Inn. You do need to reserve your seats. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing you then. And uh, on behalf of Faisal, myself, the rest of the team at BKAG, I want to thank you for tuning in to another edition of uh, More Than Money. Talk to you next week here on QR Calgary, More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.